This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Real Estate is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hey, I'm Ryan Baxter. I'm a native New Yorker and the founder of Pass NYC. What I love about the real estate industry is that it's foundational to all industry and more about relationships than numbers. Normally on this show, we talk about one overarching topic in each episode. In this conversation, you'll hear from someone who is seeing and propelling the future of the real estate industry from multiple angles, from improving sustainability to encouraging environments for tech innovation such as hackathons, and focusing on improving education through enhanced technology and opportunity in public schools. From New York City, you're listening to Real Estate Is Your Business, powered by Preview, a smart online real estate brokerage providing expert advice without the high fees. With Thomas Kutzman and Scott Pollock. Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Um, we're excited to have you here. Is you know you have a you know a unique lens on you know real estate tech or prop tech, depending on you know different folks like to use different terms for it. Um, but importantly, is that you started in the industry in a trade association, um, the Real Estate Board of New York, also referred to as Rebney. Um, so I, I find that is a unique way to come to you know prop tech coming from a you know, more of a longer standing, you know, industry association, you know, how did you find yourself uh, to come to PropTech? Thank you so much for having me. Love talking about myself. And so happy to share some detail about how I ended up at PropTech. But it's a lot of fortunate happenstance and uh, undying love for New York City. I realized investment banking wasn't for me. Didn't know what I wanted to do, was fortunate enough to go to a wonderful New York institution, Hunter College, my entire life. And so when I went looking for a way to work around my love for New York City, the college recommended I join the Real Estate Board of New York. I got super excited about it because I was a big fan of Thank You for Smoking and had a unreasonably high liking for lobbying as a concept, I would say. But I've been a bullshit artist my entire life. And so it seemed to make a whole lot of sense. It was excellent because I got to pick my focus, specifically housing, creation, sustainability, and eventually technology. I was able to affect city and statewide law and the projects I got to lead had billions of dollars of impact, but perhaps it would be worthwhile to zoom out and say a bit about Rebney, if that would be valuable. Yeah, sure. Excellent. Well, it is New York City's and New York State's oldest and largest private real estate trade association. It's two years older than the city of greater New York, as in 
It incorporated in 1896, two years prior to Brooklyn becoming part of New York City. It serves over 17,000 members across the full spectrum of real estate professions and ultimately acts as the industry's sword and shield to push for pro-growth, pro-development policies that help the industry grow and fight against the overly burdensome, to use their preferred language, regulations that might stifle growth. I got into prop tech because I started a regulatory effort to reform how Con Edison treats power plants within buildings. There's a lot of reasons why a developer or building owner might want an on-site power plant, and Con Ed doesn't like them. And so I, I started an effort that taught me a great deal about how New York City real estate thinks about technology and how it interacts with their assets. And then I got super lucky because Aaron Block, one of the co-founders of Metaprop NYC, came knocking on Rebney's door, asking us to be its first corporate partner on the idea that New York City was the real estate capital of the world. And so PropTech needs to start here. They saw us as a wonderful distribution platform. And I got lucky again because I was able to convince senior staff that technology should be viewed through the lens of sustainability and thus be my responsibility. And so that gave me the freedom to spend the last few years running around the world with Aaron, Zach, Clelia, Z Z2, Zach, <laughs> and a few other wonderful members of that team learning even more about prop tech and realizing how drastic of a misunderstanding there is about prop tech globally. Just taking a step back for a second, when you look at like an industry trade association or, you know, an MLS, but obviously, you know, Rebney has its version of an MLS, but it's more of a trade association than you know, pure MLS. But when you look at these institutions, they usually get a bad rap for being the the organizations that stifle the growth, that prevent the advancement of you know, technology initiatives. Um, why do you think you know your time at Rebney was so different when it came to you know embracing that you know technology and that advancement? I think one of the reasons Rebney is so different is that it's maintained its institutional relationships with government and political structures while continuing to serve individual members of the real estate industry. I can't think of any other trade association or entity that has straddled both of that because the organizations around the U.S. that were founded at a comparable time to affect political change on behalf of a specific constituency stopped serving individual members decades ago. Wonderful example is the Greater Boston Real Estate Board, which is now an association of associations. Well, BOMA and the Commercial Brokerage Association and the realtors take the next step to get to the individual members. And having to serve both those constituencies, the elected officials and their staffs, as well as the people who are the boots on the ground for the industry simultaneously is a tremendous challenge, but also very gratifying because you get to see through much more impactful change. And ultimately, 
the ability for the Real Estate Board of New York to get things done is what's given it such a bad rap. There's a lot that we're tasked with that individual real estate companies don't want associated with them, but nonetheless would benefit from that falls to the real estate board to pursue. But at the same time, the work enables far more impactful outcomes beyond just the pursuit of wealth as well. Right. And you were, you were also the co-founder of the PropTech Challenge. You know, maybe you could share a little bit about, you know, what the, what the genesis of that was and, you know, it's obviously still very a new um, venture, but where do you see was that going? I'm so glad you asked. The PropTech Challenge started last year. I was running tech initiatives for the Real Estate Board of New York. We launched the Rebney Tech Committee in March of that year. Within a single calendar year, it grew to over 100 people from 47 companies that collectively owned over 2 billion square feet, managed 16.6 billion square feet, and shared a passion for using prop tech to affect change. One of the early ways Rebney considered providing value to that specific cohort of innovators and executives and committed, passionate advocates was by pursuing a hackathon. We wanted to use our institutional relationships to facilitate access to a newer, more technically skilled, and more diverse set of people who historically haven't had much reason to think about real estate as a career or even a momentary, momentary job. And so with the financial support of the tech committee and some few awesome sponsors, we were able to put together $75,000 in cash and prizes to host a three-day hackathon with Grand Central Tech, Columbia, AC Hackathon, Metaprop, and ultimately what went on to be over 25 other partners who agreed to either promote it and get people to come out or help us craft the actual challenges or judge was a ton of fun. We ended up getting 150 people to come out. 17 teams ended up presenting. And it was so encouraging because 11 of those teams formed at the event on the Friday night prior to the Sunday demo day. And they were such a wonderful and diverse set of participants ranging from a 14-year-old Stuyvesant High School student who provided all of the programming expertise for his team through octogenarians who wanted to improve IoT maintenance. And the diversity of products that we saw submitted and ultimately our winners reflect the values of big real estate, particularly in New York City, because it started from the perspective of, hey, give us something useful, we'll give you money and access. We ended up awarding $2,500 and four months of free office space thanks to Notel. Keep doing what you guys are doing. You're awesome. But we challenged those seven winning teams who won in six different categories to take their awesome idea for value and make it into a business. 
come back at the Rebney Tech Gauntlet Challenge to compete against one another for another $15,000 and ultimately more access. And it was amazing. Just very quickly, prescriptive data crushed the entire process, having the perspective of we need to build with real estate as opposed to for real estate. And super excited to see all the wonderful things they do as Rebney Tech's inaugural gauntlet champion. That said, two of our judges, Sandy Jackalow at Meridian Capital, their epic CIO, and the godfather, Duke Long, were sitting around on Sunday waiting for demo day to start. And they turned to each other and went, why are we doing this in person? If we did it virtually, we could affect far greater change, far more efficiently, and connect a much more diverse set of people around the world. They mentioned it to me, and I was like, you know, that's right. That's super true. And so we set out to ultimately spur innovation, improve diversity, and keep existing New York City players relevant as prop tech accelerates around the world. And and it, what what were some of those you know companies trends ideas that that came out of that inaugural event? Yeah, one of the most exciting ones was a company called Enertive. They're a bunch of energy and utility experts who are building tools to enhance asset value through energy efficiency and operations and maintenance improvements. They created a computer vision tool that you can place atop of an analog meter or submeter so that you can automatically enter its data into their cloud solutions. And I don't want to take any credit away from the, those guys, but they did go on to raise $4.3 million shortly after winning the original hackathon back in October 2017 during New York City Real Estate Tech Week. But they're, they're really exciting. Again, prescriptive data blew everyone out of the water just through their wonderful teamwork, exceptional leadership, and focus on providing value to real estate. They entered two separate teams that won challenge categories in October, one of which then went on to win the Gauntlet Championship. One was focused on improving emergency response, enabling those in need of rescue to use their cell phone to ping a product that first responders could use to identify their location much more quickly than a 911 system might otherwise be able to. The other created a augmented reality tool that enables you to overlay real-time factual building information on a camera tool. So, for instance, if you were an engineer within a building and you wanted to know what a particular system was doing at that time, you could stand in front of it and just point an iPad at it to see the, that particular flow of information. And it was so encouraging because they built it in a way that wasn't specific to an individual set of information. Whatever information you could organize, you could show. And so the possible use cases were sweeping. And as, as you look at it, obviously you, you became more passionate about prop tech and given sustainability. 
Um, but when you you know look look out and you know over the next you know one year, three years, five years, what are some of the the you know the themes you're most you know focused on? I am most excited about the next few years of prop tech because I think there's widespread misunderstanding about what is happening. I mean, among skeptics and everyone else, fundamental misunderstanding. For the skeptics, this is not a fad. This is not some blip. You will be left behind. For everyone else, wake up. PropTech is as old as the industry itself. Technology was never some separate industry. It's always referred to new tools for a specific purpose. Our interest in making things seem hip and hot is what makes us define it in new decades old terms. I believe this belief that the industry is slow to adopt is categorically false. Rather, consumer behaviors are slow to change and it's very easy to make money while being bad at real estate. Consumer behaviors are what disrupt real estate. There's never this long-term chicken or the egg concern. The big players who will be consolidating the industry over the coming decades respond as asked. When a tenant in a commercial office building requires something, the building owner will provide it because that is how the industry prospers. But it's consumers' fault ultimately that, you know, 25-year leases were popular, that there's a lack of agility and responsiveness because of that. That's changing very quickly. Average lease term is already less than 10 years. It will very quickly shrink to one, two, three years as it already is across many places in Europe. But that change is coming. And for the startups who say they're dinosaurs, my lack of success is their fault. Sell better. Understand that there are only five value propositions to sum up every way you could provide value to real estate. Understand that relationships are more important than numbers and there are kingmakers you need to cozy up to. Understand that your time horizon regularly will not align with the time horizon of the customer you're selling. Three, five years of runway does not compare to the 100 plus year life of a building and certainly doesn't align with most major development project life cycles. Corporate real estate companies, as you consolidate the industry, you should focus more on investing and hiring for prop tech. This idea that somehow tens of billions of dollars in prop tech is oversaturation is outrageous. It reflects your due diligence being misguided. When you evaluate prop tech, you are gazing into the limitless abyss of human imagination. The total addressable market for real estate globally, $230 trillion and growing. Real estate has changed. I'm a big fan of John Gilbert, 
EVP at Root Management, chairman of Prescriptive Data. He is a visionary, has affected change in New York City real estate for decades. He says real estate is no longer about names and addresses. It's about the services offered within space and the level of granular insight owners have into their space, which is another way of saying real estate is now about experience and productivity. And so all of you corporates who see those as valuable things should start investing in prop tech to not only help you be better at those things, but to illustrate a far sounder marketing strategy. Because now you will have companies who can market for you while directly impacting your bottom line. I, I do think it's important that we recognize developers should play a huge role here too. In New York City, we're about to enter a downturn. can get into that if you'd like, but all of the developers here should lean into PropTech. This idea that you're going to focus on modernizing instead of building new buildings, but aren't going to invest in PropTech is silly. And so I, I'm very excited about the next few years to see the world recognize how far off their estimates of the potential of PropTech has been and to see much more collaboration and consolidation. When we come back, we'll dig a little bit deeper into how those PropTech trends will play out, how those companies get funded, uh, and learn a little bit more about uh, your work in the education space. We'll be right back. Are you looking to buy a home in New York City? Get more with Preview's industry-leading smart buyer rebate. Seamlessly search listings on Preview's end-to-end buyer platform, purchase your home with the expert advice of a local agent, plus receive up to 2% cash back thanks to Preview's smart buyer commission rebate. Smart buyers get more with Preview. Go to previewapp.com backslash buyer that's previewapp.com backslash buyer brian before the break you were talking a little bit about your you know vision you know for prop tech and you know skeptics or not some people will obviously you know disagree with uh, you know people being late to adopt uh, compared to other industries when you look at other industries so whether it was you know the internet search hospitality you know you know mobile with you know when you think of like apple e-commerce with amazon most other industries when there's you know a big wave or big you know tectonic shift there's usually one or two massive players that come out of it and i think what you know some of the skeptics we've talked to in the past lay out the fact you know real estate's very fragmented there's so many different subverticals Will there be one or two massive players that just completely changes the industry to you know in a in a massive way? Um, why haven't we seen that yet in real estate? I really like how Aaron Block describes the disparity between prop tech and fintech adoption. He liked to say prop tech is about seven and a half years behind fintech. I didn't like the comparison ever. 
because it seems to me finance is tremendously consolidated where the top 10 biggest banks are doing 90% of the deal flow globally. You think about real estate, on the other hand, in terms of ownership and the ability to affect sweeping change, the top 10 biggest players globally own, depending on estimates, between 1% and 1.5% of the developed land in the world. And that fragmentation makes it much harder. But at the same time, I do think it's important to recognize the difference between employees and tenants. I love juxtaposing J.P. Morgan Chase with a similarly large real estate company because when a large real estate company goes to pursue sweeping change, their tenants need to be okay with it or they need not care about their tenants. Whereas when J.P. Morgan Chase goes about sweeping change, their employees agree or leave. And so there's an, a, a radically different ability to do things that is reserved to, in real estate to the folks like Empire State Realty Trust in the Empire State Building, arguably the most ambitious retrofit to an existing building in the world, but enabled in large part because 80% of that building's revenue is generated from broadcast and tourism as opposed to commercial rent rolls and enabled things like replacing all of the windows and gutting systems that other buildings could never do because few buildings have the entire thing empty at the same time. But I do think change is coming. I do think folks like Brookfield and Blackstone are going to continue gobbling the world. And what I'm super excited about is PropTech is making it easier to pursue grander investment theses. I'm a big fan of a metaprop company called Irene. It's ultimately about buying homes. Great play. However, they're using a people angle to make it more palatable because it's about helping elderly in retirement. How can we give you access to capital against your home before you move out or die? We'll work it out so that here's a lump sum, give us your house when you pass on and everybody wins. That is the type of overlap between fintech and prop tech that I think will close the gap and illustrate that prop tech is in fact far broader than fintech and every other tech vertical we've ever seen. Right. See, see, I I mentioned it earlier as far as the whole prop tech versus real estate tech. I mean, I'm in the camp where I think prop tech is only one piece of it because I think a lot of the early believers and push behind real estate technology has been in the commercial space because to your point, there's there's these kingmakers. You get one or two of these big brands, you you can launch companies. And I think it's it's important. It's a it's, but it's also a low hanging fruit. Yep. Um, where I think of thinking bigger as you look into residential and other other aspects beyond just commercial, I think prop tech is actually a limiting lens to look things through. So when when you look at some of these you know, funds that are raising and only talk about prop tech, I think they could you know, actually talk much larger as far as real estate tech as opportunities. Um, but as it relates to that, obviously you've you've been a you know big uh, 
big proponent. You've uh, mentioned uh, Metaprop a few times. Uh, obviously, you were a liaison, you know, during your days at Redmi, and you're, you're still involved with them. Um, obviously, there's a lot of other, you know, great funds, you know, like Fifth Wall, Camber Creek, and, and they're, they're just popping up, you know, every Modern day. Modern every, every day, it seems like someone else is, is moving into Spark. it. So it, I think it's important, and I think, you know, the the folks that are, you know, that that are that listen to the show that are more on the startup entrepreneur camp, like you see the trends changing, you see all the important changes, the, you know, the trends developing, but how do people actually go out and get funded, right? Because these, you know, the kingmakers, you know, pick a industry, you know, let's call it scooters, right? You go from City Bike almost went bankrupt a few years ago. Now people are tripping over themselves to invest in Bird, you know, Lime and, and others. Um, and there are they are important trends, but I think that you know you did the hackathon, so I'm curious your perspectives on how these young companies, you know, early stage companies, go out and get funded when they're not the pure play kingmaker. We'll just throw money at scooters. I'd say the definitive best way to raise money in prop tech is to work in real estate first. The ability to speak the language of your proposed customer base, to accurately define a problem that's real and detrimental in aggregate terms, and then propose a solution within the five possible value propositions succinctly differentiates more so than anything else in today's market. I think generally speaking, a lot of VCs are always interested in focusing on team before projections. And that's very much the case. And again, being able to say, I have this particular real experience that I believe lets me do X, Y, and Z or will, that's how you get on the investors list and ultimately convince them to give you money. I do think it's going to get much easier, which a lot of people may disagree with, but I think the available funds are going to far exceed where they are today. Particularly excited about SoftBank because it's having global impact, and I don't think it's unreasonable to assume in the not-too-distant future they'll have $500 billion available for VC. And when you When you look at something like SoftBank they only write massive checks, right? So you look at you know, their investment in Lemonade, their investment in Compass. At what point does that become democratized where you, know, you don't just have this vision fund just you know writing $100 million checks? How, do, how does, obviously, when you have that much money, you can't just write $1 and $2 million checks. But um, how, do you, how do other newer funds you know, democratize that to the earlier stage companies? It's... Going to be interesting. I'm a big fan of starting with a community building approach. You as a new fund should endeavor to establish yourself amongst a specific group of people or enthusiasts to begin building the relationships you'll need to differentiate yourself. Because I do think those new funds are also going to get increasing competition from traditional real estate companies who will by definition, be able to invest earlier and more desirably than you a fund because 
by using operating expenses to justify the investment, a 1x return is in fact reasonable, whereas 3.5, 10x is otherwise what you need to pursue. I do think learning the language of real estate, again, is critical, particularly in New York City, which is a market unlike any other. Here, I would say establish expertise across the five value propositions of PropTech, including process automation, data management, customer satisfaction, creating new revenue streams, reducing expenses. If you can illustrate convincingly to an investor who you might want to partner with or a strategic partner who you might want to use to help your port codes, you get those five things, it's not nearly as difficult as the world makes it out to get in with these companies. Many of them are increasingly hiring internal teams or partnering with the likes of Metaprop or Fifth Wall to streamline the evaluation of companies to enable them to do more with less. And it's really just about doubling down and going after it sooner rather than later. We talked a lot about Rebney earlier, um, but fast forward to what you're working on today, um, Pass NYC. Uh, could you give us some background on you know what Pass NYC is and what you're working on? Happily. I've dedicated my life for the last 15 years-ish to the idea that I want to make New York City's built environment more educational. It's what's inspired my love of real estate, of prop tech, and ultimately education. I see it as the closest thing to a silver bullet society has to address the existential threats awaiting us this century. And I wanted a platform to use what I learned at Rebney in a more desirable context. Pass NYC, or promoting access to specialized schools in New York City, is a volunteer-run nonprofit that I started to work more closely with my friends from nursery through college. It's focused on improving educational access and equity using community organizing and coalition building tactics, the bread and butter of what my work lobbying for the Real Estate Board of New York focused on. We picked a mission specific to the city's specialized high schools. Are you at all familiar? The, I mean, as far as the, you know, the Stuyvesants of the world. Exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, no, I'm very familiar. I'm, I'm, I'm originally from, you know, Queens and from the Excellent. New York area. So, and uh, I went to NYU and a lot of my, you know, close friends went to, you know, Brooklyn Tech, Stuyvesant. Uh, so very familiar. Um, but beautiful. to your point, though, like a lot of those schools, um, it's a test to get in, right? So Only one. Um, and... It is. They are merit-based schools. Uh, so, I know there's been a lot of you know press around you know De Blasio trying to change that. Yep. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm curious to to hear your perspectives as it relates to your work. Absolutely. And the specialized high schools, as we see it, are a microcosm for accessing educational opportunities in the public school system. 
They are among the highest performing schools in the entire country and easily the city's most transformative public schools. As you mentioned, only one test judges admissions. It's a standalone specialized high school admissions test. And as a seeming result of this process over the last few decades, the diversity has declined steadily across these eight schools, such that 10% of their population describes themselves as African-American or Hispanic in a city that has 70% of its student body in public schools describing themselves that way. We saw this very divisive debate surrounding the lack of diversity and what to do about admissions to affect it, and we wanted to bring people together. The real estate board was epic in it that it could bring fierce competitors together to work together. We wanted to do the same in education to unite people around the things no one could argue, such as more kids should participate in the admissions process to the specialized high schools, regardless of what that process is. And so Pass NYC initially started as an outreach organization to foster awareness, collaboration, and innovation in the education space. And I saw it as an opportunity not only to see my friends more, work together, but to give back affecting change in the city I love and to deploy the government affairs and prop tech expertise I developed at my last job because ultimately I think this idea that prop tech should be innovated and incubated in billion-dollar Class A commercial office buildings is misguided as well. It would seem to make much more sense, in my opinion, for the tip of the prop tech spear to be public schools, because not only is it a more controlled environment where the value proposition of prop tech can be more accurately measured, but there's also the societal good of helping public schools design the future. So what what would be your alternative to the current specialized system? Rather than change the admissions process or the test entry What would be the alternative system? There's wonderful research to substantiate that change can, in fact, improve the diversity of the schools without reducing the caliber of student admitted. But we need widespread recognition that the only value in the SHSAT is determining how prepared a student is for the SHSAT. I propose, Pass NYC believes, that because it's a cultural preference, the SHSAT should remain the sole admissions path for the big three, Stuyvesant, Bronx Science, and Brooklyn Tech, while the city transforms 10 additional high schools into specialized high schools to double the aggregate number of seats available in these schools, providing the training and resources necessary to actively enable these schools to be specialized and then pursue their the de Blasio June proposal in those 15 schools, leaving the original three alone. That seems to thread the needle in a similar way to getting more kids to participate does and enables a variety of complementary efforts like the city's integration work. It's unfortunately not focused on enough given how students perform in public schools in New York City, but... We have one of the most segregated school systems in the entire country. 
shocker, but unfortunate. And it's because we've continually grouped students by performance as we've gone away from sorting them by how they look. And we see a world where using the new specialized high schools we propose the creation of can drive the integration of school districts throughout the city while fostering improved outcomes by fostering communal change. There, there's something interesting uh, I, I just thought of. Uh, you know, we'd previously had someone on, on the podcast that talked about student housing and how student housing affects how people, you know, you know, live after they come out of college or their expectations. Um, and obviously that's an important, you know, trend within real estate. But as you bring, you bring, tur- you've turned this lens of real estate at the early school level, so elementary school, high school level. Um, what are some of the, you know, innovations or the prop tech areas that can be brought to those schools, you know, to make them more efficient. Because one of the larger issues with you know, any sort of massive change within, you know, school districts um, in any city is the cost, yep. right, without affecting, you know, tax structures, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, how would those prop tech initiatives in the earlier schools, you know, make that, you know, more palatable or possible for, you know, municipalities to deliver on this absolutely and this is what's so powerful about prop tech it's about efficiency ultimately there are a wealth of improvements that are regularly pursued in offices to enhance the useful life of the systems in place and make the environment healthier wellness is a huge huge trend because it enables owners to offer more attractive spaces for tenants as employees. I think much of what's done as standard practice in Class A office in New York City can be deployed in schools to not only provide healthier environments where it would be unheard of to have lead in the water, but also to save the city millions of dollars on the capital costs of maintenance for the 1800 school buildings or schools across the city rather i'm particularly interested in zooming into the health implications of having these wellness prop tech practices even going as far as outright amenity management can be used i'm particularly interested in a pending partnership with block power and better spaces two New York City companies that are doing fun things to enhance spaces through sustainability and wellness perspectives. We want to design a parent resource center that is very attractive, that compels awareness, collaboration, and innovation within individual school communities to enhance school outcomes while fostering a more dynamic, responsive, and beautiful school space. And it probably promotes more engagement exactly. from, from parents in their children's lives. This, this is one of the most complicated parts of the specialized high school debate because there is not widespread consensus on why they're so good. Lots of people point to merely the caliber of students, how engaged their parents and communities are, the resources and alumni networks of these schools to differentiate them, but there's an outstanding question of if they are as supportive and instructive as other poorer performing schools who do not benefit from some of those factors. And I think it's 
critically important that we start thinking through new ways to break down the paradigm of education being the responsibility of parents and school staff. We have a societal responsibility to ensure effective education. It is the civil rights issue of our time. It is something that will determine the future of many cities around the world. I see it as something that we can work together to overcome so long as we can get parents to care about other people's kids, to make true the idea that it takes a village because it literally does. And whomever encounters students along their path should go out of their way to teach them something. And we need to create the structures that enable that at scale. Yeah, that's excellent. <laughs> Coming up, we'll, uh, we'll dig a little bit deeper on you, Ryan, and ask you a few personal questions. Looking forward to it. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mount Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Ryan, you had uh, mentioned earlier you're a native New Yorker, and you know, typically in the, the, our last segment, we always ask you know personal questions to get to to know you. Um, so I want to give uh, the audience an opportunity to uh, either love <laughs> or dislike you uh, based on you know your answers to a few New York questions. If you, if you're open to that, please. So. You know, as any New Yorker, um, we'll, we'll we'll start with sports. Uh, Yankees or Mets? Yankees. Jets or Giants? Giants. Favorite New York City neighborhood? Ooh, many to choose from. Big fan of Tudor City. I think it is arguably top five most successful urban renewal projects in a dense urban environment. And I believe it created the template for what we see in luxury residential around the world now. Favorite tourist attraction that you would actually go to yourself? Empire State Building. I'd probably go to the observation decks there a few dozen times a year. Favorite band or music group that came out of New York? Ooh, that's rough. That's rough. It could also be a solo the, artist. I, I'm not going to okay, lock you thank you for that. I, I, I'll go with Jay-Z. <laughs> nice. Um, I probably agree with that. I was. I, it's hard, though. It's super I, hard. I would probably go back and forth between uh, you know, Big E versus Jay-Z. I recently was visiting a, a property that one of our, our agents has in Bed-Stuy, 
And uh, there's always like that one line in a, a Biggie song where it's like, you know, Bedford Stuyvesant, the this one. Um, but um, yeah, I'm trying to think of one more New York question. Right now, it doesn't have to be of all time, but right now, favorite New York City restaurant. That's so hard. Um, hmm. <laughs> if I had to pick one right now, Legacy up the street from here is Legacy Records. Is I'm sorry, restaurant you... or record? I'm sorry. Oh no, restaurant. Oh yes, yeah. Legacy. Legacy. Restaurant. I think it's called Legacy Records. Is it? it? I thought that there was something called Legacy Records. Oh man, this is it's like in Hudson Yards, sort of. No, thing? not quite. This is on Seventh Avenue between Thirty Sixth and Thirty Seventh, East Side of the Street. It's within a hotel. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we'll we'll fact check you on, on that please, one. Um, please, please. It's the same place. Think, is yeah, it really? Yeah, we're talking about. Yeah, we are. Our producer is just confirming that uh, we are talking about the same place. So yeah, the Legacy Records. I believe it's from the same restaurant group that did Pasquale Jones and uh, Charlie Bird. Nice. So uh, you know, Italian food, but with a hip hop vibe. So it's fun. I like it. Uh, I haven't been there yet, but uh, highly recommend. I'm uh, going to add to the list. It's it's one of the few restaurants that expertly balances. The lounge and culinary experience vibes. I, I thoroughly enjoy doing more than one thing there. Excellent. Yeah, no, I I look forward to seeing it. Maybe we'll we'll grab a drink there one day. Uh, I look you, forward to that as we hear more about what you're working on. Um, we'd like to give all of our guests the opportunity to uh, you know share a final thought. You've shared a lot of great thoughts today, so it's tough to you know leave us with one lasting one, but. Uh, what would you like to share with the audience today? As a final thought, thinking about prop tech and education in New York City. Go big. Execute more, discuss less, get shit done. Excuse my French. And for, you know, listeners that want to connect with you, how, what's the best way to, uh, to reach you? I am much better at checking LinkedIn than I should be. But if you're in the New York City area and want to grab a coffee to discuss how we can work together, feel free to reach me at ryan at passnyc.org. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great conversation. Uh, and for everyone listening, thanks as always uh, for tuning in. Uh, I'm Tom, and real estate is your business. You've been listening to Real Estate Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show, or to become a sponsor, email us at realestatebizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Real Estate Biz Show. That's Real Estate B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, realestateisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by Preview. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. <laughs>